So Panther Nation, back again with episode 102 of the Four Man Rush Podcast. Today we got myself, we got Kev and Smooth. Uh, we got our next two opponents, Cowboys versus Eagles in the top year screen, so we can take a look at them, you know, as we prepare for our next two games. Big game next Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. First, we want to talk about some big news today. We made a big trade for um, C.J. Henderson, cornerback from the Jacksonville Jaguars. A little bit about C.J. He was very high on our draft board last year. I think if the Panthers didn't go with Derrick Brown, C.J. Henderson would have been the pick. Uh, C.J.'s about 6 feet, 215. Um, same size about J.C. Horn. Got rare athleticism. I mean, he's 4'3'9 guy with that size, um, 37 and a half in vertical jump when he killed the combine. You know, Matt Rule loves the athletic types. As far as his skill set, just very silky smooth, um, man cover corner, strong and bump and run. At Florida, he was asked to shadow the opponent's best receiver. He held his own. I mean, he's very quick out of his breaks, very good feet. Um, just everything you look for in a man press bump and run corner. As far as why he didn't work out in Jacksonville, a lot of things happen. You look at Jacksonville's draft history, guys just typically don't enjoy it. The culture was toxic there, I guess, before Urban Meyer arrived. You see Dante Fowler, Jalen Ramsey, the list goes on. Their first-round picks just typically don't stay with the organization. So I know CJ was going through some personal things this past year, had some mental health things where, you know, he wasn't really all in with playing football. Uh, the game just wasn't fun to him anymore. So it's a bit of a project. I think as fans, we got to be patient with him. He's not going to be that plug-and-play type guy like uh, Richard Sherman would have been, but it's more of a building for the future. So expect him to come in, try to compete, maybe start out you know, some nickel-dime packages. I still think you'll see the veteran lineup with Dante Jackson, Rashawn Melvin, and A.J. Bouye, who's going to be returning this week as well, and hopefully, you know, we'll see CJ get acclimated and hopefully hit his stride and be able to have a career revival here in Carolina. So we gave up a third-round pick in the 22 draft. So as of right now, we have no day two picks in that draft. We also gave up tight end Dan Arnold. So it's going to be Tommy Tremble and Ian Thomas holding it down at tight end for us. The Jag We got a fifth-round pick from the Jacksonville Jaguars. We got something in return. So I'll start with you, Kev. What's your overall thoughts on the trade, number one? And number two, what are your thoughts on C.J. Henderson as a player and what he can bring to this secondary? Yeah, my thoughts on C.J. Henderson uh, trade, I, I was very shocked. Seemed like a long shot dream. I mean, you're talking about somebody that was in a conversation with uh, Jeff, Jeff Okuda as the top cornerback out of the 2020 draft. Of course, you know, that's the draft that we got Derrick Brown in. So, you know, I was all about you know, I was all about the trenches. But as a consolation, you know, getting him, I, I wouldn't have been too mad at. Uh, as someone that likes to watch, you know, the Gators play, you know, SEC football, um, he was definitely someone that, you know, seemed to always stand out every time they played. As you mentioned before, he likes to follow the, you know, number one receiver. Man seems to be something that he favors. Uh, and, you know, with the history of the Panthers defense being so zoned, it's so refreshing to see, 
so many players who are naturally skilled and adapted to playing man. Uh, I just think that's just something that is just just great to see. I mean, I know we're not going to be like the Patriots and play it, <laughs> you know, like they do what, 60, 70 percent of the time. But, you know, the fact that, you know, on third and five, you know, I don't got to worry about seeing the DBs, you know, our corners seven yards off the damn ball no more. You know, they seem to line up and, you know, stay with whoever the man they lined up in front of. But as far as value to the team, um, I, I just think that I think that he's going to gradually grow into this year, but the real value of this trade will show up next year. You know, when we have a, when we get everybody back healthy and I'm going to go ahead and be on a record to say this trade has nothing, will have no impact on the re-signing of Dante Jackson. Um, you know, in this league, with the league running so much, you know, over 60% of offenses are running 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. And with the wide receiver talent and skill set that's out there, you really do need three starting caliber um, cornerbacks out there. And I think, you know, C.J. Henderson gives us uh, ability to flex like that. Um, you know, just thinking about J.C. Horn and, um, you know, him on the outside. Now, I didn't see him play a lot, a slot. Not saying that he's not capable of, but, you know, you know, with the resigning of Dante Jackson, and we still have A.J. Bowie for, Bouye for like two years um, as well. So, hell, you know, we can go in some dime packages, you know, come over. I mean, Phil Snow just literally going to have the ability to really get in his playbook and really just – throw out some personnel groupings that that's really going to show what this uh, defense is capable of. Um, but in the short term, as far as this year, I think he'll be gradually brought along. Like I say, main thing, you know, get that mental health right, make sure his mind is right so he can enjoy playing football again and having the love and passion that he had. I'm excited. I think that this is going to finally give us the long-term solution in our secondary that we've been seeking and wanting for years. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have him. Right. I know uh, Smooth, you would have probably preferred to trade for one of these left tackles. But what's your initial thoughts on this move the Panthers made today for C.J. Henderson? Just further, further solidifies and helps you understand what the philosophy of, of Phil Snow is. He reminds me of a young Mike Zimmer. Well, not a young, but how your, Mike Zimmer used to be. You know, heavy on the DBs, he had a mentality where you can't have too many defensive backs. So the way that room is looking, as deep as I don't know what. And just a year ago was one of the weaker position groups on our team. So I'm glad to see the team is getting better. Um, not having any day two picks, like in the third round, is kind of alarming for me where I still have a desire to build in the trenches. But I just know now just to be patient and wait to see what happens. I don't have much on it, though. Like, it is what it is. Everybody spoke about it and said how they felt about it. I don't care. I just want to win football games. Yeah, when you uh, read up on the trade, you know, I think one guy that's really um, been a fan of CJ since he was actually a, in it, playing JV in high school was Evan Cooper, the Panthers' defensive backs coach. Uh, at the time, Evan Cooper was at the University of Miami, and he was the first guy to offer uh, CJ right out of high school before he even stepped on the varsity team. So after Evan Cooper made that initial offer, you know, CJ and him kind of stayed in touch over the years. Uh, Evan Cooper followed Matt Rule to 
Temple, I think, and Temple offered CJ there. Then when he went to Baylor, he offered it again. So it's a guy, Evan Cooper, Matt Rule, and Phil Snow have really been high on ever since. I mean, he was a teenager. So I, I know and last year in the draft, I mean, it was no secret as well. I mean, he would have been our pick at seven if Derek Brown was possibly off the board. I even think they had him above uh, Jeff Okuda. And as did I. I mean, I know a lot of people were high on Okuda, but I just felt I just have a bias towards guys that can continue, that can consistently play man coverage over and over again. I think uh, C.J. Henderson is that guy. So, I mean, what you're going to see eventually, I don't. I know a lot of people are asking, what does it mean for Dante Jackson? Personally, I don't think it's going to affect his contract situation because if you think about it, your secondary right now, your cornerback room, you've got J.C. Horn on a rookie contract plus a fifth-year option. you got C.J. Henderson on the second year of his rookie contract plus a fifth-year option. you got Keith Taylor, who's still got the rest of this year and three more years on his rookie contract. So I think for the next at least three years, I mean, three, four years, you're going to have guys on their rookie contract. So I can easily see Dante Jackson getting a three, four-year deal during that period just to kind of balance out that cost. So, I mean, if we can keep these, you know, this secondary together, I think it'll just allow us to go all out and address other needs on the team and try to keep this current group together. But like I said, I think um, while we're excited about this trade fans are going to have to be a little bit patient because we're not getting a guy that's going to come in and be a plug and play starter and immediate impact player right off the bat. You know, I don't expect him to step in in Dallas next week and shadow Amari Cooper. I just don't see that happening right off the bat. You know, he's struggling with a groin injury, I think. And that's been part of the problem with, you know, since he's got to the league, you know, I remember you recall, Dante Jackson had similar injuries coming out as well. But once he got healthy and was able to get more reps, you see the kind of player he is now. So so I think overall it's a good trade. Um, it was more of a long-term play. He's only 22 years old. He's turning 23 next week or in a couple of days, I believe. So it's a lot to look forward to with the way they're building the secondary. You know, Scott Fitter trying to recreate that Legion of Boom that he had in Seattle. But that's our thoughts on the trade. Now we're going to break down and see what we got in store next week with the Dallas Cowboys. I know Kevin Smooth will enjoy talking about this team because of how well they've been able to build the offensive line. I mean, notoriously been one of the better offensive lines league-wide, especially when you're healthy. So let's start with their uh, tackles here. We got Tyron Smith and we got Lael Collins, who isn't um, listed on here, but he's expected to be back from his suspension next Sunday. The big name is Tyron Smith, though. Um, Kev, what makes Tyron Smith such a special left tackle, and why has he been such a dominant force in the league for so many years? Yeah, well, with Tyron Smith, I mean, you're talking about a cornerstone, like when healthy, and I got to throw that in with him, but when healthy, uh, you're talking easily a top five left tackle in the league. Uh, one of the things that make him very effective as a left tackle has been his Ability from what I've seen is to is to keep his player in front of him. Very rarely have I ever seen, you know, a player get blown by him. Whether they, you know, try to go up under, whether they try to do a speed rush, um, he just been a just pretty much been a, a wall out there, which is why he had got that like I forgot his contract extension. I think it was like one of the longest ever for a lineman, like a seven eight year contract extension, something of that effect. But you know, he just has the ability to be equally effective in both the run game and the pass game. 
you know, in the run game, he definitely uh, plays with his hips low, and he definitely doesn't take a lot of unnecessary steps in his footwork. Um, he has the ability to also pull out and get out on screens. I mean, he's pretty much your prototypical, you know, do-it-all left tackle. Um, he's been battling injuries over the last couple of years and really been limited. So he's kind of a shell of him former self, but shell of him former self now is still still good enough to be above average in this league. And I, I just think that he's going to he's going to definitely present you know a challenge to our edge rushers who've you know pretty much been on fire this season. So this would be by far the best left tackle um, blocker that our edge rushers will face. Uh, this early part of the season. I think the most important thing left out of uh, when you talk about Tyron Smith is his hands. He has some of the strongest hands in the history of the league. So what that means is when he gets his hands on you, it's pretty much a wrap. And that's going to be a concern with the type of red rushes that we have because Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick are fairly undersized. So it's going to be important for them to use technique to convert their power when they use that speed rush because once Tyron gets his hands on you, nine times out of ten, it's a done deal. He just got the strongest hands I've ever seen out of Lyman. So it is what it is. He's That's what makes him great. He can anchor in the run game as well. I think having him healthy, you can see that the Dallas's, uh, Dallas's run game has gotten better with, with uh, Pollard and, and Zeke running off of him. So. He's definitely a force in the run game, and like I said, pass sets, his goal is just to get his hands on you, just to get you a strong punt. Once he grabs onto that jersey. Uh, smooth, I know Tyron Smith in college played right tackle. He's one of the few guys that was able to make a smooth transition to left tackle, come into the league, dominate off the bat, and have a great career as one of the premier left tackles in this league. What about his skill set made that transition so easy for him while it's so difficult for many others. I think you got to kind of be ambidextrous to play both sides of the line. I'm ambidextrous. When I play edge, I played on both sides. He may have a little, little bit of that in him. But the fact that as a young guy, he was one of the most athletic guys at the position, I, honestly, it just takes reps. Honestly, it's like muscle memory. You know, if you practice something enough, you can eventually get good at it. He's just one of those guys that he's always been the worker. Definitely a craftsman. So I think that's what had a lot for his success. And you know what? Just like Jordan Rose, once he moves to that left side, he ain't went nowhere else. So, I mean, I'm, I just got a lot of respect for Tyron Oscar. I don't have too much negative to say about him, period. He's one of my favorite tackles in the game. That's just what it is. Right. When you look at this old line, I mean, it doesn't start with Tyron Smith. I mean, you got Zach Martin in there, who's probably arguably one of the premier guards in this league up there with um, Quentin Nelson. And I'll start with uh, you, Kev. What do you what makes Zach Martin so uh, special, and why has he also been such a dominant guard in this league for so long? The thing with Zach Martin is that he plays with a lot of uh, plays with a lot, taking a lot of great angles to really get the advantage on his defender. Uh, one of the things that stick out to me is with Zach Martin, it, it, he has a high football IQ. Very very rarely will you catch him off guard. He um. He's just a player that just just has tremendous upside. I would say smooth, you know, I know you say Quentin Nelson from the Colts is like the best guard, you know, ever. But I, I could say, you know, we can probably say that Zach Martin could easily put a um, put a fight up to be number two behind him. 
you know, as far as the league, as far as consistency year in and year out. Um, you know, watching him on film, I, I love his ability to, you know, get off to the second level. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, with the Cowboys run blocking scheme, you know, they do more powers run blocking than zone blocking, which is what, you know, the Panthers do more zone blocking. You know, watching him get that double team on that D tackle and then move off to a linebacker, uh, you know, he does it with good, not only good form, but good technique. I mean, he's just a guy that just rarely out of place. Like, to make him have a bad day is, is something that's that's pretty rare. Yeah. He's just someone that's just consistently year in, year out. Um, he's still in his prime. Uh, you know, I know he uh, battled some injuries a little bit, but uh, for me, Zach Martin, he's just a player that, that epitomizes what interior line play is all about. I mean, I could talk about guys individually because they have all pros on that on that offensive line. But what really stands out to me about the Cowboys is continuity. If you notice, if you've been following that, I mean, that team for the past few years, if Wiggum goes down, it seems like nobody else is the same. When Tyron Smith is down, there's a deficiency with the whole, whole unit. When Zach Martin is down, there's a deficiency with the whole unit. I think what makes each, of, each one of those guys successful is being comfortable with the people that's next to them, because we're all in it together. We talk about one of the best units in the league. The reason why they haven't been one of the best units in the league the past couple of years is because usually somebody's either hurt or like Leo Collins suspended. So what we have to look out for is that they have a whole unit that we're going to play next week. Continuity is going to be key with them. So we got to bring our A game. Now when it comes to Connor Williams, what I can't say about him, just nasty. Like when, when I was scouting offensive linemen for us to draft this past season. One of the things that I was looking for, which we still don't have, is like attitude, nastiness. We still don't have that. The Cowboys have that in Connor Williams. So looking at all those guys, just what we got to understand is that they want to have their whole group together. Continuity is key with them. Cohesiveness is key with them. Another guy from Wisconsin, Tyler Bielas, who was scouting him too. He was one of the best centers in the country. I haven't watched him too much in the pros, but I know what his upside is. So if he can fall in the place with that group that he's got, that big, that group, that veteran group that they have, looking at a tough matchup for this D-line, any D-line. Still give us the advantage because I'm a diehard Panther fan. We took guys in the first round for a reason. So this is going to be their challenge to perform. We, we want to see really what Brian Burns is, what Derrick Brown is. We need this type of challenge early on in the season. So I'm excited. Right. I mean, you look at the young guys. I mean, Connor Williams, He's from Texas, right? And you got um Tyler Beadas from Wisconsin. I mean, these are two you know, solid, strong day two um interior O line prospects that were high on a lot of draft boards. So it's, it's like they keep replenishing talent. Because remember Travis Frederick, the former center before he had the neck and back problems. I mean, he was a, one of the premier centers in the league. So they've always had a solid blue chip prospects across their offensive line, and they just do a great job of continuously replenish that talent year in and year out. Now, I know one thing Phil Snow has done that's kind of caused havoc for a lot of offensive coordinators, the way he sets up his rushes. He's going to crowd the line, you know, double A gap, try to throw off the pass protection. So the offensive line really doesn't know who's going to blitz and who's going to stay. And so that's how you've seen, you know, a lot of free rushers, like Brian Burns on a lot of his sacks. He's not even winning his one-on-ones. He's getting a straight, direct path to the quarterback. So I'll ask you this, Kev, do you think with this veteran offensive line unit, Phil Snow's blitz schemes, 
will continue to be effective? Or you think this is one of those weeks where guys are just going to have to buckle down and start winning their one-on-one matchups because it is continuity and communication that this O-line is able to have from playing together for so many years? I think it'll be a combination of both. You know, as we're sitting here doing this podcast and, you know, watching the game, uh, you know, what I've seen is um, this this Eagles defensive line, you know, is, is having a lot of success against these Cowboys right now. Um, now, definitely the Cowboys are winning their fair share of battles, but, you know, I'm seeing penetration. Uh, I'm seeing the ability to, you know, throw off the blocking scheme. So um, I think it definitely is definitely going to be our, our best test uh, in the trenches. And coming up, you know, at Dallas, but I also think that um, we're going to be a test for them uh, because I feel like that the Panthers have a better, uh, better defensive line than what I'm watching the Cowboys play against right now with the Eagles. Uh, you know, when you look at the fact that when we're in our 30 front with Daquan Jones, Derek Brown, and Morgan Fox, and I don't know if our fans have been paying attention to the alignment, but one of the things that that Phil Snow has been doing which is allowing our linebackers to, you know, not have to, you know, fight through a lot of blocks, is that they've been lining up, you know, our defense, you know, in a, in a 30 front, you know, usually you typically your your defense ends a little bit further out. But we've been having ours, you know, closer to the guard, more like three techniques, four eye techniques. And what this does is that this prevents guards from getting that clean release off to our linebackers. You know, so, you know, you got your interior, you know, the opposing interior offensive line, got their hands free and you know the tackles I got to worry about you know the edge rushers so you know this leaves not linebackers like Shaq Thompson and you know Jermaine Carter you know the opportunity to you know make plays more often than than before because you know teams you know teams are having their hand full with you know when we're in our 30 front with that alignment so I definitely think it's going to be a test but we're definitely going to be a test for them and Maybe biased because I'm a Panther fan, but I'm I'm definitely gonna get an edge to us um, slightly because this is a talent line. But I'm still gonna give us the edge as far as our defense will get more wins than their offensive line. One thing about our front seven, I mean, our linebackers are very effective, very fast. You know, you bring Jeremy Chin in the box, run a lot of nickel and dime packages. But even Shaq Thompson, we don't have like a big uh, linebacking core. We depend; they depend on their the defensive line to occupy blocks so they can move cleanly and fill their gaps and run support. Do you have a concern with how, you know, we'll be able to hold up against this Cowboys offensive line that's nasty. They move guys off the ball. They get bodies on the second level. Like, do you think our defensive line will be able to hold up the guys like Zach Martin peeling off Derek Brown and trying to, you know, get a body on Shaq and Chin and Carter to, you know, open up these holes for Zeke? I'll let you answer that one smooth. It can be a concern mainly because if you look at what we're good at, we're fast. But that means going sideline to sideline. When you watch this team, they run right at you, north and south. So um, it's going to be imperative that guys like um, Jones and, and Brown and even 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 Bravion Roy, we brought him in for a reason, keep these guys clean. And if they can't keep these guys clean, they have to start making plays, especially tackles for a loss. So, Speed is one thing. We have all of that. But when you're facing an offense like this, a run game like this, where it's not built around getting to the edge, they're running right at you. It can be a concern. I'll admit that. But that's why you got a guy like Jeremy Chen that's physical to come up and make plays. 
So I still give us the advantage. You know, I still I, I don't think anybody can really game plan for what Phil, what Phil Snow has been doing over the last season and a half. So he's got all the pieces that he wants. I think this is going to be a battle of coaching. You know, McCarthy versus Snow. That's how I'm looking at it. Where they like uh, Kellen Moore's off as the coordinator now, but still, I just I look for Snow to take advantage of opportunity. Okay. That pretty much covers the um, Cowboys' offensive line. You I probably consider that the strength of his offense. Let's talk about the quarterback. I mean, Dak Prescott, I mean, he came in as a, what, day two, day three pick, um, beat out Tony Romo, had a, you know, slow start to his career. I also won't say slow start. He came out pretty effective uh, right off the bat. Had some little ups and downs, inconsistencies throughout his career, but I think right maybe two years ago, I mean, he became probably one of the premier quarterbacks in this league. He's probably top 10 right now. But he put up a lot of empty numbers at first, you know, because they were playing from behind. But since then, I mean, he just earned this extension. He's He's been playing out of this world. He went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in week one. Um, you just got to like how he's evolved as a pocket passer. He's become a complete quarterback. You know, you watch his college tape. You know, he's more of a, you know, power run quarterback. You know, used him a lot like Tim Tebow, even though I think he's a much better passer and plays from the pocket a lot better than he ever did even in college but he's involved this game I mean he moves around very well he's accurate um he's got a good handle of his offense he's you know now paired with uh Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore looks like he's found a good match there so how do you um what do you think the keys are to uh contain Dak Prescott and the numbers he's been able to put up Kev Well, number one thing with Dak Prescott, I've seen to be effective to neutralize him is definitely keep him in the pocket. You know, whenever he gets outside that tackle box um, parameter, that seems to be where, you know, his um, off-schedule playmaking ability really kicks in. So I think it's imperative that we maintain, even when we're pass rushing, you know, maintain, we keep our our lane integrity. Um, now, he will take off. I, I've seen him do that before. Um, he's not hesitant to do so. He, even though he is a pass-first uh, quarterback, but if you continuously give him lanes, he has no problems taking advantage of it over and over. But uh, so the main thing for me is to is is, is particular on our edge rushes is to to rush them, but you know maintain their gaps. And if we're going to be doing any type of twist and stunts, you know by our by our line to just make sure that everybody is responsible for the hole that they're in. Um, so this is a game that I, I definitely want to see our defensive tackles really um, impact the quarterback as far as quarterback hits um, and just really just uh, clogging up things and, and, and just and just force them to the hands of, uh, you know, Burns and Reddick on the outside who's, who's going to be waiting. Yeah, when you look at the quarterbacks we played so far, you know, Zach Wilson was a young guy. He's been struggling ever since with turnovers, um, taking care of the ball. We had Jameis Winston, we know who's pretty erratic. Uh, Davis Mills was very young, still learning on the fly. But Dak comes in the league with several years of experience. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's more careful with the ball, makes a lot better decisions, a lot more accurate with the ball. So how are some ways you can do, what are some ways, Smooth, you think we can rattle Dak and get him from behind? Because I think Typically, when you get Dallas, to me, Dallas, if you can contain the run game, put Dak in those must-pass situations, I think that's the first step to try to control this offense, make them one-dimensional. I mean, I think you're going to beat them. You're going to beat Dak the same way you 
could be any other quarterback, you know, with the pressure right up in his face. Hit this man all day long. I don't think there's any special formula. The way we're going to beat anybody this year, whether it's Tom Brady we got to see twice, Dak, whoever, we're going to beat these guys by putting hands on them, being physical with them, being violent with them. That's how you beat Dak Prescott. I'm not too sold on him still, and I'm watching him now. I call him the garbage time guru because I think he puts up those gaudy numbers when his team is down. I think it's important to try to examine why his team is always so down. He's good for throwing the pick. He's good for turning the ball over. You saw him turn the ball over in the end zone. So he can be a little reckless with the ball. And if he chooses to do that with us, we just have to take advantage of those opportunities. I'm not worried about him, though. I'm more concerned about the talent that they have on the outside. I do respect Amari Cooper. I do respect CeeDee Lamb. I think that's going to be a great challenge for our young secondary. I'm hoping Dante can use this as a statement game and show everybody that he's been balling because ever since some people still don't know. But Dante's been balling since the season started. So I think this will be a good challenge for him. I wish we had JC with us, but it is what it is. You know, the challenge is really going to be on the outside. When we shut those big-time receivers they got down, and I think the way you do that, like I said, get after that. Get after that. I'm not worried about him. Just get physical with him. Put him on the ground. Have him keep getting up. We'll be fine. And one thing I want to add to that. Oh, I'm sorry, um, Will. Um, Smooth, I was sharing with Will before you came on. Uh, there was a tweet by um, Warren Sharp um, stating, you know, watching Zach and uh, <clears throat> Dak Prescott, and he was saying that um, at the time he was 13 for 14, and uh, so far he had only thrown like four passes, four four completions of receivers. The rest was like tight ends and running backs. So, you know, not to dismiss what you said about the um, the wide receivers. But, uh, you know, one thing about that Prescott is he's going to, you know, he's going to he's not shy about using whoever's open. So, you know, even though the talent is probably greater on the outside, you know, he has no problem, you know, dinking and dunking, you know, to the tight ends and running backs. So I, I just think that, you know, all of our players, you know, particularly, you know, our linebackers and safeties, you know, have to be, you know, in position to, you know, make plays as well, because it's one thing to neutralize the wide receivers. You know, but if we, you know, get dinked and dunked and can't, you know, stop the five, seven yarders that keep getting the chains moving, you know, it's going to make for a long day and a long drive and wear out our defense. Right. And speaking of that, you know, you look at the running back situation, they gave Ezekiel Elliott that big contract. But you watch the games. I mean, Tony Pollard's probably taking a lot of Zeke snaps. And why is that? You know, Tony Pollard is more of a dual threat back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, run between the tackles, he's a lot more elusive. You know, Zeke's more that north-south guy. So, I mean, I know Zeke's showing up first on the depth chart, but they really do run a two-back system. You're going to see plenty of both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. So, we, I think we got to be prepared for both running backs. I do agree they do have a very good receiving court. You know, Amari Cooper is probably the best route runner, or one of the best route runners, if not the best in the league. So, we're going to play man coverage on him. Got to have that great eye discipline, read his hips, and not let him get that quick separation that he's so able to do. I mean, C.D. Lamb, you know, also a very good young receiver, big body. And I wish we had uh, J.C. Horn to go up against him, but luckily we're getting uh, A.J. Boye back next week as well to help match up with these guys. So, I mean, with Dante Jackson, how do you feel about him going up against a guy like Amari Cooper who's shifty, gets separation, wins at the release? You know, very crisp route runner. We know Dante's in the past had his problems playing man coverage with 
Calvin Ridley? Do you think we're going to leave him on an island with Amari Cooper? Or do you think this is more of those games where we need to kind of zone up and, you know, have mixed up the zone coverages to kind of confuse Dak in that way? I'll let you answer that since you're the Dante's uh, number one fan here. I think Phil Snow is building a system that's made for Dante because I see him using a, a lot of different ways. He's not just manning up. I see him playing in the deep third last week. So I think we're just going to try to, instead of worrying about what the Cowboys are trying to do, we're going to do what we do and do it the best we can. So I think, and also I wanted to mention that CD, he don't just run routes. They use him a lot of different ways. I think if you guys were watching earlier, they try to get in the end zone with him on a reverse. So they're going to try to use him in different type of ways. We got to be on the lookout for that. But I'm, I'm, I don't care who you put Dante on. I think right now this year, it's about attitude. He's the clear leader of that room, and he's here to earn his check. So, look, <laughs> if you have a bad game, think about not paying him. If you don't, we're going to have a, a good problem on our hands. I ain't worried about Dante. No. I'm, this is all, I hate the Cowboys so much. I was just talking trash to a bunch of Cowboys fans I know. If y'all pay attention, they ain't beat us in almost 10 years. I think it was 2011, 2012, last time they beat us. Um, we spanked we them on Thanksgiving, and then we played a couple years ago when people said Dante Jackson couldn't tackle, he has a highlight coming up and hitting Ezekiel Elliott on the uh, on the line of scrimmage. So we've been beating them, beating them, beating them. I'm just trying to keep that going. They ain't beat us in almost a decade. I'm not trying to change that now. So I got a lot of attitude when it comes to this game right here. I don't I don't feel like I'm worried about anything that the Cowboys are trying to do. I don't believe in their coaching staff. I don't believe in their quarterback. I think you can rattle him. I think they just, they, you know, you keep calling them America's team. I think that's what it's all about. Dak is putting up body numbers. Most of the time, they playing from behind or in the shootout. We're not here to play no shootout. We lead, we got the number one defense in the league right now. I'm not looking for no shootout. I want to bury them from kickoff. That's yeah, smooth. We know your we know your hatred for the uh, NFC East. Um, anyways, <laughs> you know, being As from Jersey, Reds. Well, excuse me, Washington football team, Eagles, all of them. So. Yeah, I, I I know when we play against any of their uh, play against that division, it, it just it just matters a little bit more to you. Always, been. I'm from the tri-state, and I, I just don't like their fans. They're so cocky because they think that they're still in the '90s, bro. When has that division ever been threatening? In the 2000s, like I'm done with this shit. Now let's let's knock their fucking heads off. Excuse my language, and then do it to the Eagles a week after that. That's where I'm coming from. Okay, so with that said, you know, let's I guess, um, close with this. What do you think the number one thing we got to do this weekend and shut down this Cowboys offense? You got to think we got to take away the run game, you know, stack the box, stop the duo of Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, or you think it's more about containing Zach and playing too deep and inviting them to run and just letting our deep tackles try to, you know, handle their thing up front? And I'll let you answer that, Kev, before we move on to the Cowboy defense. Yeah, I just keep it simple. I just think if I, you know, whatever Phil Snow calls this week, I just think players just need to do their job. You know, whether it's 30 front or 40 front, you know, whether we're in base or sub package, um, you know, there's really not no magic formula or what needs to be done. Um, but if, if I was to focus again, I, I love to force, you know, Dak Prescott to be, you know, one dimensional. and you know, uh, to take out Zeke Elliott and, and Tony Pollard. 
because I see they use him more like, um, you know, kind of a jack of all trades type type deal. You know, he's the guy to you know get, they want to get out on the edge while you know Zeke you know bangs up the middle. Uh, that seems to be what they you know what they've been doing tonight. You know, as as you know we've been paying attention to the game, but you know, so for me as always, stop the run first. You know, let's 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 peel back and and, and let's test these offensive tackles. Uh, without 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 edge rushes, so uh, that that'll work for me. But er everybody just got to play their job, no matter what the call is, though. All right, let's move on to the other side of the ball. Talk about the Cowboys' defense. I know one name that's missing from there is Demarcus Lawrence. He's actually on IR. I don't know when he's going to return, but he definitely won't be playing on Sunday. So coming in and starting will be uh, Randy Gregory. I mean, if you remember him, I mean, he was a super talented edge rusher coming out of college. Never could stay out of uh, trouble, though. <laughs> <And I> see, <laughs> you know, he had that problems with the weed, I guess. And what Stephen A. Smith stay stay off the weed, huh? But um, I mean, you can't deny the guy's talent when he gets his mind right and actually cares about football. And he can be a force, but you know, I don't think this. I think this is one of the least threatening defensive lines we've seen. I don't think this is the strength of their defense. Um, I mean, considering our O-line weakness, I mean, every week's going to be a challenge. But I'll start with you, Smooth. You think this is a kind of a get-right week for our tackles and guards when you look at this Dallas front four? Um, our offensive line doesn't have a get-right mentality. I just want them to be serviceable for 17 games. I think what the key to this game is going to be, though, is getting to the strength of their defense. And I just want to know how well our guards and our center and our tackles can get to their linebackers. Um, Parsons, I think, what is he running? 4 3 40, sideline to sideline. He's blazing. <laughs> Jalen Smith, Ben DeS, they have a really strong athletic group of linebackers. And I think we have to make sure that we don't get one dimensional. So we're going to try to establish a run game as well. And the only way we can do that, especially with the group that we have now, is getting our hands on their linebackers. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for us. How well do we perform on the second level? And then it's time to man up. You know, we're we playing the Dallas Cowboys, man. It's time to put the league on notice. It seems to not matter if the Cowboys are 0-11 or 10-6. It don't matter what their record is. When you beat them, it kind of puts the league on notice. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, definitely get the run game established. We don't want to become one-dimensional. And the way you get the run game established is Got to get your hands on their linebackers. They got extremely. Let's talk about the linebackers. I know Michael Parsons. I know Kev was a big Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater's fan, but I know Michael Parsons was another guy that you were uh, pretty high on as, you know, possibly a defensive player that we could took in the first round. What did you like so much about Michael Parsons coming out of Penn State? Well, what I liked about Michael Parsons was, uh, just his ability to really cover ground quickly. Uh, I thought that his skill set was very similar um, in a pass coverage like Luke Keekley's was coming out of college. Uh, obviously, he missed the uh, 2020 season um, and, and sat out. But you know, he was a player that when he was on when he was at Penn State, I mean, he pretty much uh, was a dominant force, and he's even showed his versatility. Um, that he showed in college, he's showing currently in NFL because with um, uh, what's the edge rushing Lawrence out, you know, with his injury, you know, they've now put you know Michael Parsons down as a full time DN coming off the edge. So, 
Taylor Mo- Taylor Moten and Cam Irvin are definitely going to get tested by this by this young stud here. I mean, he, you know, he's talented enough to literally wreck our whole offense by himself, and that's that's no exaggeration. Like he's really, you know, he's really that good. So I, I just think that Michael Parsons is someone that got to be accounted for on every play. Um, it's, it's, he, he he the one out of this whole defense. I think this just got me more nervous than anybody, even though he's a rookie. Because I I just I'm just such a believer of his talent, of his quickness, of his agility, and you know just watching you know our offensive line, who's got what the 30th ranked pass block win rate. We was 32, so we up to 30 now. <laughs> So I guess we're slowly trending in the right direction, but um, you know I'm I'm old school. You know, pass rushes like that, run at them. You know, let's let's line them up. Let's 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 put some let's put some Tommy Tremble on them. You know what I'm saying? Like since he's the 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 new number one tight end. You know, with this trade today, um, you know what 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 Tommy was known for was blocking. So I, I want us to wear wear Michael Parsons out early and often, so he, you know had the legs to. Um, do what he needs to do. Yeah, and I mean, we not to diminish Parsons. I know, you know, I mean, we know he's probably got a great future in this league. But you look at their other linebackers. We got Leighton Vander S, Jalen Smith, and uh, Keanu Neal. I mean, I think these guys, these are guys. I think they're solid run defenders. But you can pick on them a little bit in coverage. I mean, Vander S is not very fast sideline to sideline. So I mean, if you can get Chuba Hubbard and those guys out in space against them, or even you know, spread them out, put the wide receivers, get them in those mismatch situations. I think these are guys that can be picked on a lot, particularly, I mean, Keanu Neal. I mean, he was a safety with the Falcons. Now they moved him to linebacker because that's more of his skill set. But even in the box, I don't see him being able to hang with a guy like Terrace Marshall or even, you know, maybe we let Tommy Trimble more involved this year. So I definitely think, you know, these linebackers and coverage is an area where we'll be able to attack um, it'd be nice to have Christian McCaffrey because I think none of these guys would be able to be in the same stratosphere as him in terms of covering him. But I think the guys we have on the roster are still capable capable to be able to take advantage of that unit. You just look at the secondary. I mean, Trayvon Diggs, you see him getting this pick six right here. I mean, he's a stud out of Alabama, man cover corner. You know, he was probably my third favorite corner in that draft behind Jeff Okuda and um, C.J. Henderson. Um. Dallas, I mean, they're not afraid to play that man coverage, but the question is, you know, are they going to come in with DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall, and Robbie Anderson and try to lock down and play cover one versus unit? And what do you think about that move? Is the year Robbie going to get off with Dallas trying to play man coverage against them? That's what I was going to say. You know, since Robbie's been in Carolina, you don't really see him have a quiet week, two weeks in a row. I think this will be a get back game for him. I look there. I look for him to get him involved. Um, definitely looking forward to that. I'm a big time Robbie fan, so this is a game I want to see him get off. Maybe get some big plays established because since their pass rush isn't too great, maybe we can get enough time to create some big plays. But um, I like that. Like I, I hate to keep talking about their linebacker group, but I like Keanu Mill too because he's physical. I think this whole game is just going to be about who's more physical. One advantage I think that we have on both sides of the ball, guys, we played on Thursday night. You know, we've got we've had an extra five days longer than them to prepare for this matchup. So, and we're going to be more rest more rested than them. So, I think it's going to be a physical matchup, 
And we just got to beat them in the physicality game. You know, it's not going to be too much about X's and O's. I think we got to demoralize them, punch them in the mouth, do it early. We haven't trailed the game yet. Let's keep that going. Right, and then you look at the um, a lot of the players they got, and they got two Falcon safeties. I mean, Demonte KZ, if you remember, he's the guy when Cam Newton tried to slide, came in and hit him. Tory Smith Dirty tried hit. to get up and fight him. So, I mean, he's there. I mean, I've always thought Dirty he hit, but a, KZ, Dan Quinn is on that. He's on that. He's that defensive coordinator, right? Right. He brought his, he brought his guys with him. So, this is not right. going to be anything new for us. All his favorite guys from that defense, he brought with him to Dallas. KZ's a stud. Um, definitely under under what, what do you call it? underrated? He's definitely one of the right. most underrated guys on that defense. On that defense, he can definitely play football. So, and he's going to be physical. That's why I think with Dan Quinn just focusing on defense, we're going to look at a very physical Dallas team, and we got to we got to we got to we got to out hustle them. We got to punch them in the mouth first. Right. So let me ask y'all this: With Dan Quinn, you know, if he's bringing over what he did, you know, with his background from the Falcons, which was primarily, you know, playing cover three. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched, you know, the, the coverage of Dallas now. Is, is, does that seem to be more like they're still doing that from Quinn aspect, playing a lot of cover three? And if so, you know, what are, like, plays that beat a cover three um, effectively, you know, both run and pass? I think with um the secondary he has now, remember in Atlanta, his cornerbacks were, what, Desmond Trufant, who in C-plus, B-minus corner. I don't think he's an elite guy. But with Trayvon <laughs> but with uh, Trayvon Diggs, now he can be more flexible and mix up his single high coverages with both bitter cover three and a both uh, cover one as well. So you're seeing they're playing a lot more man coverage this year, and that's why I think the way to attack is to get after Vander Esch. I mean, Van, I mean, now he plays some games. He's only playing like 10 or 12 snaps because he's a liability in coverage. He doesn't have that sideline to sideline speed, but if you're able to isolate isolate those linebackers in coverage, I think that's the way you want to attack this defense. And I think you still got to take your shots. I mean, if you want to play, dare to play Robbie Anderson in man coverage, I mean, who's going to run with him if you can protect long enough? So, you know, we're going to get that play action maybe to hold the pass rush a bit and try to hit Robbie on some of these verticals. I think that's the opportunity to do that uh, this year. So maybe they do play more, you know, deep. Like you saw the Texans, they were scared of Robbie's speed. That's why they had their safeties playing back 30 yards. You know, even though Robbie had one catch the whole game, his presence on the field just scares defenses enough to not want to give up those big plays. So maybe they um, come with that same approach to try to prevent everything from over the top out of respect for Robbie's over the top speed. Or maybe they trust Trayvon Diggs enough to say, okay, you know, match up with this guy and let's see what you got. But I think either way, you know, I think, Robbie Anderson, this might be a good way for him to get on track this year, especially since we're not going to see a team that's scared to try to man up and try to challenge him at the line of scrimmage. I agree. So that takes care of pretty much of the Cowboy. You got something else to say, Smooth? <clears throat> no, I was just saying I agree 100%. You know, I don't think it's just the Cowboys, but I feel like wherever we play, we can have an advantage with our receivers. DJ's having an outstanding year. And I think a lot of his success has to do with Robbie's presence. Like you were mentioning, teams are preparing for Robbie. So I'm not worried about them. Uh, excuse me for being less educated tonight, but that's just I don't like the Cowboys. <laughs> I don't respect the Cowboys. It just it is what it is. I just think we need to beat the brakes off of them, regardless if we have CMC or 
that's just another opportunity to get our other weapons involved. What's the point in drafting and picking up guys in free agency if you're not going to use them? We have a lot more than CMC. We have a lot more than DJ Moore. You guys bragged about our weapons all offseason long when I was crying about our offensive line. So if the strength is not the offensive line, it's got to be the skill positions, and we have those. So we should have no problems getting offense. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see um, Terrence Marshall have a breakout game. I mean, with his size, right. what is he, like 6'4", or something like that? You know, about right. 220? You know, like, like he, he put me in the build of like a like Musin Muhammad when we had him way back in the day. You know, that's for us old school Panther fans that actually got to watch Moose and watch him play. But, um, you know, I, I really like to see him, you know, take advantage, uh, you know, in this game, particularly in the slot, you know. Um, you know, like you said, you're talking about taking advantage of these, you know, these linebackers. And um, I, I just really like to see, you know, with him being a second-round pick to have the type of game where he catches like three or four balls that, are, that really put us in position to, uh, you know, move chains and just make big plays. Like, I'm, I'm ready to start seeing something something out of him too, you know, especially being a, a, a second-round pick. Yeah, I man, it was good to see him get involved last week. He had four catches, 48 yards. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come as we keep moving through this season. Now let's start taking some uh, questions. We've kind of gone through, you know, the C.J. Henderson trade. We've gone through both the Cowboys offense and defense. First question, would you rather have Henderson or Sherman? And I'll let everybody answer this question. Me personally, I'd rather have C.J. Henderson. You know, I mean, I respect Richard Sherman. He's been in the league a long time, savvy veteran. Um, great career. I mean, he was an elite corner. At his best, he was probably one of the best corners in the league, and I think he'll be definitely in the Hall of Fame one day. But I think for what we're trying to do with Phil Snow and this team, I just think C.J. Henderson's a better fit. You know, Sherman is more of a zone corner, kind of like in that Josh Norman mold, where C.J. Henderson's a bump-and-run guy, has more athleticism to hang with these smaller, quicker, wide receivers. Uh, C.J. can play in the slot, as he did a lot in Florida. You watch the LSU game, which I broke down on Twitter earlier today. I mean, he followed Jamar Chase everywhere, whether he was boundary, whether he was field side, whether he when Chase was in the in the slot, Henderson covered in the slot. So I think Henderson can play nickel. He can play dime. He can play outside. He can play man. He's in good in zone. Um, he's a willing tackler. Um, I know that was a concern from him coming out, but you see it on tape. I mean, he can tackle when he puts his mind to it. So I think um, C.J. Henderson, just off of upside, athleticism, and versatility, I think was the perfect fit for this defense. So what do you think about that, Kev? And I'll get you smooth after that. Yeah, I was definitely all for, you know, Richard Sherman for some of the reasons that, you know, we discussed in the Foreman Rush chat. Uh, someone that can be, you know, a great guy to, you know, mentor our young talent coming up while still making plays. Uh, so that aspect of it, I like. But then. You know, I thought about what what's his strength, and you know, like like we've been talking about, we're playing a lot of man now, and Richard Sherman, at his best, and what he's most comfortable with is, you know, being a, a cover three, you know, um, cornerback. Um, you, know, I, you know, with him being post prime, and you know, coming back from, I think he had an Achilles. You know, how effective, you know, can you expect him to be in man coverage? I'm not saying that he, you know, wasn't capable, but. Um, uh, you know, he did get smoked in the Super Bowl, you know, when the 49ers went on that um, uh, on that uh, pass play. I, I forgot who it was, but uh, against Kansas City, but it wasn't pretty. Yes, but, it was. Yeah. 
But um, looking long term, you know, for years, you know, we was complaining about, you know, the Panthers never having the same, you know, starting, you know, cornerbacks, you know, and safeties, you know, year after year. I think we're finally in a position where, you know, we could realistically look at having, you know, three or four, you know, very good, you know, possibly potentially could be elite players in the secondary for the prime of their careers for the next several seasons. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all, I'm definitely all for it. You know, if we can, if we can, you know, have a, when JC comes back healthy and I'm just looking projecting down the road, you know, have with him and CJ Henderson is locking up. Like you think Phil Snow calling up exotic, you know, blitz packages and pressures now, man. I mean, just imagine not having to worry about, you know, doubling a lot because of the type of, uh, secondary you have. Uh, I thought I saw somebody on Twitter make a comparison that our defense is kind of forming up like that uh, 2015 Broncos defense. <laughs> you know, I was just, and I, you know, I had a little twinge. I'm like, good comparison, but like, fuck them, you know. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> but uh, looking forward, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm really excited. I know, Boo, you weren't a fan of the Sherman trade to begin with. What do you think about this question? I mean, when you think about what Richard Sherman would bring to the table, we don't need any of it. Um, Kevin brought up veteran presence. You have that with Dante. He's the clear-cut leader. I don't need my young DBs learning how to mix Casamigos and Henny together. So I'm not, I don't really care too much about what Richard Sherman brings to the table. Big fan of his, but I just think that, like you mentioned earlier, he doesn't fit our scheme. And I, I don't know if he can hold his liquor. That's really what it came down to. So I like. I like having CJ, to be honest with you. Okay, the next question seems like Jax gave him away. He's talking about CJ Henderson. Any info on his PFF grades or anything? You know, what I mean, I don't. I'm not a fan of. I mean, I'm, I mean, I respect what they do. I mean, I understand their grading system. I'm not a fan of it, though, because I mean, it doesn't really take in consideration the situation a player is in. For example, last year. Our own players, we know they're good players. Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin. Um, a lot of our young players had terrible PFF grades just because the overall system in place was a work in progress, and they just weren't effective as a unit yet. So it kind of snowballed down. So I don't think the PFF grades and stats are really a fair way to judge C.J. Henderson's upside and potential. I think you have to more look at what he did in college, his college tape, uh, how he was used, what his um, – strengths and weaknesses were and what Matt Rule, what Rule's vision is for him and how he'll fit into this system. And I don't think we'll really get an idea of that until he's here for another year or two. Like I think right now, I mean, I know he was a first round pick last year, but, you know, draft picks going into situations. We saw it with Sam Darnold, you know, guys coming into these tough situations with losing teams, winning one or two games. It wears on you mentally. So they're not going to be playing their best ball. You know, when you lose motivation, you kind of get, you know, mind goes elsewhere and you think about things other than football. But I think coming to Carolina where there's a serious football place, he has a lot of his peers, his age, and he's got J.C. Horn, he's got Dante Jackson, who's a young leader. In that secondary, you got Jeremy Chen. These guys are, are going to motivate him and try to get the best out of him. So I think he's coming to a situation now where he have the right culture in place we don't need him to step in and cover Amari Cooper right away. We got three veteran corners who are ready to play and start against Dallas already. So let's just take our time with CJ, let him get acclimated. You know, maybe he'll start out as a dime corner, play some special teams, you know, move to nickel in certain situations, and then maybe, 
you know, in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe he either starts this year or maybe, you know, competes this offseason for a starting role. But I think it's more of an upside play as opposed to coming in right now and being an immediate impact player. So don't think of him as J.C. Horn's replacement. This was in the works before J.C. Horn ever got hurt. This is just a player that Evan Cooper and Mike Rule have really liked ever since he was in high school. They wanted to get him in the draft last year. And they were just fortunate enough that Jacksonville gave up on him very early in his career. And they can make a move and acquire him this year and help develop him into the player they want him to be. So what do you think about this, uh, Kev? Yeah, I'm definitely all for it. And, you know, for the development of him, uh, I think I say the fact that he can kind of ease his way into it and don't just be, you know, thrown into another fire. Uh, I think that's a plus for him. Like I said, number one for before he stepped on the field, you know, whatever issues that he that he had to deal with from a from a mental point of view, I want him to address that first. You know, I know you mentioned family issues. I don't know what specifics were ever released behind it. Uh, you know, personally, that's that man's business. You know, I just, you know, because you know, you play your best football when your when your mind is free. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just want to, I just really want him to mentally be at peace. You know, before he's ready to step out on the field. Some fans might not feel, you know, that way. And, oh, but he was ninth pick overall. We got to get him out of it. No, nah, you, you just don't understand how, how the value. And I think we did a show, you know, in the offseason time of how important it is, you know, for mental health. So this will be a prime example of, you know, with, with guys that we already have established here in the cornerback, even with the loss of J.C. Horn, I think it's more than enough time to give him the opportunity to um, uh, to ease in. Um, and we, I think he was mentioning something earlier this morning in our foreman rush chat. Uh, isn't he a, a Florida boy? Like, didn't he um, grow up uh, down there um, in Florida with a lot of the, uh, you know, in high school? I, I think he was mentioning something like that. But I say he's the only player on our roster that's from the University of Florida. But, you right. know, got got some Florida State boys on here, you know, the SEC. So. Yeah, he went to high school in uh, Columbus and Miami down here. So that's what Evan Cooper, who used to coach at the U, was familiar with him. I think, like I said earlier. Uh, Coop recruited him as a JV player. So off the bat, you saw that talent right away when CJ was very young. So, I mean, his dad played ball. I think he played Division One college football, so he's got the pedigree in his family. He's got to get his mind right, you know. Let's see if we can be in a part of this defense, you know, this young core that they're building, you know, trying to build something special here. If that motivates him and makes him enjoy football again and how much he wants to be a part of this. This is kind of a Kev question here about the salary cap. Do we have enough cap space to pay Reddick, Burns, Darnold, and DJ Moore over the next couple of years? Uh, yeah, we actually do. Um, I don't know how many fans would know, uh, know this, but uh, the new NFL com TV contracts uh, that they've been negotiating for the last few years uh, got signed and done, and it's going to be a huge a uh, huge boost to the um, salary cap for um, every team, in particular with the Panthers. Um, trying to pull it up here, um, but basically, you know, with the players that we let's start with the players that you mentioned here. You know, Reddick on a one-year deal. Uh, Burns is on his third, so technically, um, got two years where we pay him. You know, the fifth-year option. Um, Donald, you know, got his this year, next year, fifth-year option. So. It's like we can take turns, you know, signing, you know, one, maybe two players at a time instead of, you know, lumping them all in. Um, you know, DJ Moore, he's now in his what? Um, 
this DJ's what fourth year? Yeah, DJ was drafted in 2018. 18, yeah. So, so he's in a fourth. So, you know, what what the salary cap? What it's going to come up to? Uh, we definitely will have these uh, cap space to uh, keep all of these guys, uh, keep them during their prime, and and um, you know, really, really be in a position where we can just uh, maintain this uh, talent here. And um, I just pulled up the, you know, rough projection of the um, salary cap in um, 2022, and it says here. Uh, let's see. Doing a quick update. Because I've seen different numbers, but roughly, um, we're going to have about, as stands right now, we're going to have well over $100 million um, in the salary cap uh, next year. I'm looking at about, about 100 and like, got like $130 million in salary cap. So yeah, we uh with you know with some Samir Suleiman, you know our capologist uh, that you guys probably see me um, mention a lot. Um, he's definitely so, uh, someone that I I got no problems with him. If if Rule wants these players to come back, we'll be able to you know we'll be able to bring them back. Do y'all think C.J. Henderson will start this week against Dallas, or since he's a fresh agent, have to wait until? Next week, I'd be shocked if he starts this season. To be honest, I mean, well, I'm gonna say that. I'll say I'll be shocked if he starts. You know, as more as as, as part of like a, I think he'll be involved in sub packages, diamond nickel. I don't expect him to come in right away and ask him to come in, start and lock down the opponent's number one receiver. I think he's gonna need some time to get acclimated into this offense. We have to see where his head is, get him right back into. Um, football shape again because he's been nursing that groin injury. So that's what I said when I said, you know, lower your expectations a little bit. We know he's the top 10 pick. He was pick nine. The team was high on him. He was a top corner in the draft. But uh, don't I think if you're expecting him to come in and replace J.C. Horn right off the bat, you're setting yourself up for a disappointment. I think this is a little bit more of an upside pick for the future, more so than a plug-and-play player that's going to immediately step in and be asked to cover C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper in his first game as a Panther. What do you think about uh, that smooth? You broke up a little bit. What was the question? Uh, this question right here, do you think C.J. Henderson's going to start right away or you think he's going to need some time? No, to get he's not starting right away. I think he'll, be, I think he'll get a, a snap count because he is in football shape. I think he will play. I think he'll be on type of uh, some type of a snap count. If you've been paying attention, Snow, Phil Snow doesn't have the easiest scheme to run. It does take guys to get used to it, but it seems like once guys are comfortable in that system, they seem to be able to play fast. I think that's what we're going to try to get out of him is just get him comfortable first. And I'm pretty confident with what we saw to Melvin and getting AJ back. So I don't think it's any rush to, you know, get him on the field right away. I think you do want to get him on the field and get him, you know, get him used to things, but I don't think he has to start right away. Okay, we'll take uh, one more question before we call it a day. Let's go here. Got a feeling Fitter is going to trade down in the first round to gain more draft capital for the upcoming draft. That's a good question there. I think, you know, considering we don't have many holes on the roster right now, it's pretty much obvious. I think it's no secret where 
the direction we need to go next year as far as you know acquiring talent you think it's a smart idea to trade down and accumulate more picks or do you want to package some picks and try to take one of the best tackles in the draft this coming year let a uh, smooth answer that and then kev do i really got an answer that <laughs> we don't have any blue chip offensive linemen fellas we got one that y'all consider blue chip which is taylor moton i just think he's a pretty good guy that we were able to groom into a starter but I don't think I don't I don't look at him as like an all pro perennial type dude. So I think we use our early first day pick, you know, to address this offensive line. If you want to keep trading back and packaging up and having a camp full of 30 offensive linemen competing for five positions, fine. But the way it stands right now, I need blue chip guys in, on that unit. We don't have it. So I don't know if that philosophy works for what we're trying to accomplish, but I have never been eye to eye with this front office and addressing the offensive line anyway. So I'm really not the best person to ask that question to. Probably will trade back. I just don't think it's the right thing to do. I know, Kev, you've always been a fan of more draft capital, but considering now, I mean, if we nine to ten win team, we're talking picking the late teens, early 20s. Would you be opposed to packaging picks to try to move up and acquire one of these blue chip linemen? Or you think we just let the board fall over the way it may and trade back, try to accumulate more picks the way we did last year. I mean, where it stands right now, you know, with us just having a first and, you know, depending on where that first falls, I mean, any type of blue chip offensive lineman, if maybe, you know, depending on how to draft fall out, probably won't make it past uh, 15. So, you know, at this stage, uh, as far as acquiring, you know, offensive linemen, I'm I'm gonna be looking more at potentially who's gonna be available as far as uh, free agents um, coming up with us having the cap space that we got to more so try to acquire, you know, blue chip talent offensive line more so than in the draft. Um, of course, you know, I'm not I'm never opposed to uh, taking one in the draft. You know that I'm I'm definitely with smooth on that one. But as far as me, uh, I just think that the free agent, uh, that the free agency might be the best way to uh, acquire uh, blue chip offense line talent this upcoming all season than in the draft due to the fact that uh, we don't have um, we don't have as much we currently don't have as much draft picks and you know trading back to get a bunch of picks just to say we drafted a lot versus having quality. Is overrated. You know, Fitterer killed that for me with 11 draft picks and, and passing up so much, you know, offensive line talent on day two. So uh, I'm over the whole idea of having to say, hey, we got a bunch of draft picks. That's like, you know, reaching into your, um, reaching into your um, cup holding your car. I'm like, hey, I got a bunch of change, but it's all pennies, you know? So um, definitely want to address the trench with the first round pick, but I'm, I'm looking to the, for agency to really upgrade this offensive line this offseason. Yeah, just to give you an idea, I mean, you know, you look at what Brady Christensen and Deontay Brown, they haven't seen significant snaps yet uh, this year. I mean, Jackson Carmen got his first start versus the Bengals against the Steelers uh, yesterday, completely balled out. So, I mean, you're seeing the types of guys that we passed on to help address the offensive line. And I'm not saying – I mean, I think we could have still got these guys and still got Terrence Marshall because, remember, Marshall was picked at the bottom of the second round. So we didn't have to um, trade. I think this was more about the pick, the Christensen and Trimble picks where we passed on these O-linemen. But 
Guys like Jackson Carmen, I mean, he balled yesterday. No pressures, no sacks given up. He had his first start with Cincinnati. You saw um, Wyatt Davis. I mean, Smooth probably know this better than me because he follows the Vikings. I think he's starting day one. So, I mean, that's just the kind of um, things we're talking about with trading back. Yeah, it's good to accumulate picks. But a lot of these guys that were on the board, but we could have gotten a second or plug-and-play starters that are playing extremely well right now. I mean, I just I watch the Kansas City Chiefs and see what Trey Smith does every week. <laughs> and I'm just yeah, I think Creed Humphrey's starting there too. Creed Humphreys too. From from Thune down to to Smith, they've got a trio of elite interior offensive linemen talent. And all of that was day two. So it was just like, <laughs> what are we doing wrong? But we got a long snapper that's not on the right. Foster. Um, we got we got a tackle guard. You don't know what you want to play. We play positionless football when it comes to Brady Christensen. He doesn't start. I think he played swing tackle, tackle one game. Like, I don't know what we're going in the trenches for. Because I'm just you can hear it in my voice. I'm exhausted talking about it. I just gotta sit here and wait till the offseason. Hope we can make the playoffs this year and enjoy. Okay, well. That takes much takes care of uh, all the questions. So I'll just leave the stage for any uh, final remarks. Anything you want to say before we close it out for the day, Kev? Yeah, as always, I just want to always acknowledge our fans, let them know that we appreciate you guys, you know, interacting with us on social media. I appreciate you guys, you know, just going to our website, checking it out. Um, and and um, just main thing, you know, just stay tuned. You know, we got things that's in the works and, and, um, you know, the best of the four-man rush is yet to come, but definitely want to thank you guys for your support and um, and keep pounding. Okay, and, uh, what's the, what time is the Cowboys game this uh, Sunday? Uh, it's still 1 o'clock. I know there were some people thinking that it was um, got moved to the 4 o'clock game order, game of the week, but um, I was checking before we came on. It's still slated to come on at 1 o'clock. All right. Well, there you have it. You know, thank you for joining us tonight. Another episode of the Four Man Rush podcast. Appreciate everybody that tuned in tonight. Keep pounding, and we'll be back uh, Sunday afternoon for the post game show after this uh, Cowboys matchup. Man, thank y'all for joining us. Appreciate your support. Hey, keep pounding.